You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. We're going to start with a quiz. Here's your quiz paper. It's really easy. Daniel, I bet you can get it just from, just from memory. Whoop. Here we go. All right, guys. Name at the top. Uh, I don't have a pen. Maybe we could borrow a pen. I might... I might have a pen. Alright, it's super easy. This is from Ken's lesson. Ken wrote this quiz, so if you don't like it, blame him. And I might have a couple pens. Hold on, here we go. I've got two pens. Who needs a pen? Okay. Fine. Alright. Alright, here we go. Here you go, brother. Quiz. This is from Discipleship. Name at the top. Welcome, welcome. You guys coming to First Steps class? All right, you made it. Here's we're having a quiz. The quiz is starting. Welcome. You get to take a quiz. Oh, you'll have this one down because you had the first. You had the interns quiz. So this is easy to do. Okay, I'm only going to give you one more minute to finish it. It's easy. Put your name at the top. All right. Welcome to class. I don't know if you like coming to class and getting a quiz right in the beginning. I don't know. If, you get the hard part out early. Right. Get the, Mia, you were here studying. I bet you I aced it. But I just read the scriptures. I never know memory. Okay. It's okay. All right. We all done? Looks like you guys are done writing already. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here's what I want you to do. You guys got it? We got it? No, no, no. Some of you are like, I don't know. I don't get it. All right. Let's, you can correct your own. I'm a good teacher. You can correct your own. Okay. Number one, outside of the Gospels and Acts, where else is the term disciple used in the New Testament? Who knows? Nick Zola talked about this, remember? Yeah, he said it wasn't in there. The word disciple is not in there after, uh, uh, it's in there a lot in in, uh, Acts and it's in there a lot in the book, uh, the four Gospels. But then after that, it's not used, which is very interesting, right? Um, Okay, which scripture talks about hating your parents in order to be a disciple and you must, who knows that one? Which one you think, Grace? No, not Matthew. Who knows that one? Luke, Luke 14, it's Luke 14. That's right, Luke 14. That's an important one. Of course, he's using hyperbole. He's not saying we actually have to hate our parents. It's hyperbole. He uses that a lot in the Scriptures, overstating it, but making the point. All right? Hey, brother, great to have you, man. Here's your quiz. You can take the quiz, or we're correcting it already. All right? Um, And then, number three, which passage talks about being a fisher of men from the discipleship study? Who knows that one? Who knows that one? Fisher of men in the discipleship study. Come on, Mofe, you got to know that one. You don't know that one? Oh, come on. No? Well, actually, I think it is in Matthew. It is in Matthew, but we always use the Mark verse when we usually do the study. Okay, Mark what? Mark chapter 1. Okay, Mark chapter 1 talks about, you know, Jesus calls the, the first disciples, right? He says, follow me and I'll teach you to be a fisher of men. Okay? All right, put your name at the top. 
fill in the answers and mark, if you, you know, so you have it there. And um, go ahead and turn it in. Okay, if you didn't get it right, that's okay. I mean, I, it's just to help motivate you a little bit. I'm not going to mark it down and put it on the, you know, the big screen at church. I'm not going to put it up there and say, you guys didn't. Okay, let's begin today. Since we have a smaller group, I want everyone to introduce themselves. Because I don't think even everyone here knows each other. And I really want to make sure we do. So let's all introduce ourselves. Just, you know, so just how long you've been coming out to the west side and uh, name and how long you've been coming out to the west side. Start right here. Come on, Mia. You've been around almost as long as me. Great having you. Uh, Joel, ten plus years. Okay. Great, Joel. Art, May first, ninety four. All right, Art. Great having you, man. Andrew, I was here seven years. I went away for two years, and I came back two years ago. Great, Andrew. It's great having you. Uh, three months. Three months. Great having you here, Daniel. Awesome. Mofe, three years. Mofe, like the school you graduated from. <laughs> Oh, okay, 21. It's great having you guys. I'm Gracie, and 21. 21 years, Gracie. Beta, 1996. Beta, 96. You guys are getting a refresh on discipleship studies, huh? That's good. Heather, it's great having you. Really great having you. Michael, two months. Two months. Michael's new. And where are you, Michael, where were you from? What church? Chicago church. Chicago church. Okay. Awesome. Well, welcome. Great having you. Vicky, three years. Great having you here, Vicky. One. Lenore, I think 16 years here. Great, Lenore. Thanks. And how long have you been with, Lenore? How long have you been with Starbucks? Ten years. Ten years. They treating you right over there? Good. Thank you for taking care of my daughter. Keeping her in line. Hopefully. <laughs> hey, you can fire her if you need to. If she don't come up, I tell her all the time. Yeah, you can give. Hey, hey, just so you know, that's totally fine with me. If you have to do that, <laughs> no, nah, she'll work hard. Okay, uh, Lori, you got to introduce yourself. How long? Wow. Okay, wait. You just came in, so you guys, who didn't get to take the quiz? You got to take the quiz. Vicky knows the answer. She watched. You probably heard the answers. Take the quiz. Okay. Let's, uh, let's begin today. Obviously, when you're doing Bible studies, this class is not just for you to know the material. I want you to have some tips on helping others know the Bible studies, teaching this. Uh, and, and here's the thing. You do learn the material by teaching it. If you can just, it, there's just no substitute for teaching the material to other people. It forces you to have it on your heart. And, and there's just, I, mean, I could force you to memorize this material, but you'd forget it in 10 days unless you're, you're trying to regularly teach it, okay? So I want to, I hope to imprint upon you uh, some, some nuggets of wisdom of how to convey it to people when you sit down with a friend or a family member or somebody that you're really trying to impart the Word of God to. That's what my hope is, that we're, we're not just being disciples. Being a disciple means you're making disciples, amen? So when I gather back up with people, I'll usually spend a good... 15, 20 minutes, like I, got, I made you introduce yourself. So I just want to know how they're doing, right? Making a disciple is not just imparting head knowledge. The reality is, I think more importantly than the head knowledge is the relational connection, the life. Um, we, we are more than just rational people. We're, we're relational people, right? We're relational. We're connected. We're feeling oriented. Uh, if you want to convert somebody to Jesus, it cannot just be the head knowledge. It will not work. I, I, I guarantee you. Uh, and you, and you, could, you won't win a doctrinal argument. Doctrinal arguments are pretty much fruitless because 
you get stuck in your emotional upbringing. You get stuck in what you've already believed. And what happens is people will, will comprehend the correct doctrine when their hearts feel at ease and trusting, when they're trusting relationally. Or sort of like you, you develop your own doctrinal take on things when you're sort of by yourself and, and you don't have the, the pressures of people around you. That's when you develop what you believe, right? You, you're, so, no person's going to force you to believe something. You either let them in to, to influence you or you're going you're gonna to put up walls. You guys with me? So disciple making is relational. So I want you to hear that. Uh, step one, every study, you don't want to spend the whole time, if you have, hey, I only set aside an hour and a half, the whole time is just a big talk about their life. You've you got to get into the Word, but you, you can't only get into the Word. You have to connect a little bit with their life. Amen? Everybody good with that? Yeah. So and, and, and that being the case, and I'll share a little bit today. Uh, it was graduation. We're having a, a little graduation celebration. My daughter is a high school senior at, um, at Culver High, and she's graduating. And then uh, t- later tonight, we're having a little celebration for her. It's been on our mind and a lot of pressure. And this Friday is a big graduation thing. So, I was, you know, you've got to open up with your own life, too. What's going on? What are the things you're going through? Uh, that's very, very important, right? I have, my, I have a little nine-year-old. He's graduating from... Um, well, not graduating, but he's finishing uh, his first year at uh, Culver City Elementary School at uh, Lin How- Linwood Howe Elementary School right here in Culver. And he, uh, he had a tough, he came here when we moved here back in January. It's been tough for him to transition because he's so social. He loves his relationships with the kids back where we were before. It's been a little challenging. So, uh, we're, you know, that's been a little bit of pressure to try to get him connected. Patricia Don, good to see you. Welcome. Nice to see you. Good. Here you go. Here's your quiz for the day. Welcome. Welcome. She lives right down the street from me, is always praying, walking down the street, praying with my mother-in-law, which I appreciate. Hope you're praying for our neighborhood. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Oh, and you guys have to introduce yourself. I, I know I introduced, but how long have you been coming out here? Sorry. Here you go. Quiz and then introduce yourself and how long you've been coming to the West Side Church. Afi, no, I know. Afi Bell. And how long have you been visiting? September. And Patricia, how long have you been here? Forever. Um, okay, so I started in the West when it was all kinds of different things. Marina, all of that, in 1995. 95. Okay. Okay, welcome, welcome. And Afi, I know you've been here since I've been here, right? Before that, actually. So, well, I only got here in January, and you said when did you start coming out? Okay, so before me. Okay, awesome. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to break into the study today on the sin. And this is a really important Bible study. So everybody grab, uh, I, have, I have the study for you to follow along. Okay, pass those that way. And I'll put this over here. Pass those around the table that way. Everyone gets one. And uh, we're going to go through the study. This is a very important Bible study. Um, this is the most relational of the Bible studies because it's, it's a vulnerability time. All right. Normally, I will tell the people before I do the study that we're going to do the study. Um, I will let them know, hey, uh, the next Bible study, we're going to talk about what sins are and how they affect you and how they can uh, uh, hurt you and, and how God has a plan for them. Welcome, welcome. Come on, grab a seat. Everybody grab a seat. Yes. So, okay. Um, sin. And I usually begin just asking the question like, okay, what, what, do you, what, have you always, what is sin? You know, just... Kind of throw it out there. Have you ever, or I'll ask the question, have you ever done a Bible study on sin or ever read any scriptures on sin? And most people have done a little bit on it, right? Um, 
Okay, without looking at the study, without looking at this, okay, nobody gets to look at this right now. How many of you can think of a list of sins in the Bible? Galatians 5.19. Okay, Art, what else? Okay, that's the one we've trained. That is in there. Uh, can you think of some others? James 3.16 or 17. That's James 4.17. That's, and that, that's not a list, but it's talking about one of the sins we're going to hit at the end. Okay. Can you think of other lists? Anybody else know a list of sins? Mark 7. And that is on the back side. You'll see it on here. Okay. <coughs> you turn on the back. We have a list of sins on the back, too, that there's more lists under the your move part. Uh, Galatians 5.19 is in this study we're going to do today. But there are other lists of sins. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more what they're all about. But we want to begin today in 1 Peter chapter 2. So please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll begin our study there on what sin is. Uh, I definitely like to talk to people about the importance of um, recognizing that the whole point of Jesus coming is to solve the sin issue. We have often in our history called this sin, this study, the light and darkness study also. All right. So you could... You can tell them that, hey, this is about sin. Another concept here is this is a, a, a conceptual study about the spiritual light and the spiritual darkness. And the Bible has a lot of references towards the spiritual light and the spiritual darkness. It's in there in many different places. Sometimes I begin the study referencing a couple of those. Um, and so for your sake today, why don't we do that? All right, I'll give you an extra verse. So let's instead of go to First Peter chapter 1, which was where our chapter 2, let's go to a different verse. Let's go to the book of Acts. All right. I'm going to give, this is just an extra, it won't even be on the quiz. This is just an extra verse, all right? Acts chapter 26, and I want to introduce the concept of light and darkness, all right? That God sees people in the light or the darkness, and this is a common theme. And that's something you can often, you can often just begin the study with, with that, that idea of the spiritual light and the spiritual darkness. So you could begin asking, hey, what is sin? And then say, hey, when you think of the spiritual light and the spiritual darkness, what do you think? So let's open it up for you guys real quick before we read the verse. When you think of the spiritual light versus the spiritual dark, what are the differences? What, what are those? What does it mean to be uh, in the spiritual light versus in the spiritual dark? What do you guys think? Just any answer is a good answer. Okay. Okay, good. Okay. Royal priesthood. That we're gonna read that one in just a moment. Okay, that's good. And and just from common sense, to be in the light, what does that think? What do you think of that? Okay. Okay, open and vulnerable when you're in the when you're in the light. When you're in a room and it's light, what happens? Can you see or not see? You can see. When it's dark, what happens? Okay, when you're in a dark room, what are some of the, the problems that happen? You stumble. You run into things. You can get hurt, right? When you're in the light, it's, you feel it's a little... Which one has a little bit more of a positive attitude typically? When you, right? right? You get a little... You know, there's this whole... Um, if you live up in Seattle, any of you guys ever lived up in the, north, the Northwest? There's this thing called SAD, Seasonal Adjustment Disorder, because it's always overcast and rainy. People literally get depressed because it's just dark all the time and rainy. Isn't that interesting? And yet down in southern, southern, you know, sunny Southern California, the, the idea of light and dark is a common concept that you know, all of humanity has to deal with. All right? And the Bible talks about it further. So let me give you this free scripture. Look in Acts chapter 26. All right? And let's begin in verse... Um, the second part of uh, verse 15. 
Or we can just start in verse 15 and make it easy. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? Okay, so this is Acts 26, verse 15. Acts 26. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a, as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So you see the concept of darkness and light? And when you look at that, you see it says to turn, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. And then it equates, what does it mean to be uh, in darkness from that verse? From the power of who? If you're in the darkness, you're under the power of Satan, right? If you're in the light, you're in the power, under the power of God. You get that concept? So, so sin relates to this and we're, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the, the foundational issue that puts us in the darkness. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. All right. So now, uh, I, from there, oftentimes, I, I don't belabor that fact. I'll go right into then 1 Peter chapter 2. All right. So now, 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's go ahead. One of you guys turn there and read it out loud. Uh, verse uh, 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Who can read that? Okay. Heather, stand up. Read loud and clear. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. Okay, awesome. So this scripture is a powerful scripture, again, bringing in this concept of, of light and darkness. And it begins with, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. I love that because what it's saying is, and it's written, of course, First Peter, the, Peter's a, a letter written to the early church. It's written to the Christians. And he says to them, you're, you're now a people of God, right? You're, you're a royal priesthood. So is it just, you know, the, the minister who's, quote, a priest? No. All people who become Christians are considered priests in the kingdom. Royal priests. That's pretty cool. Royal. All right. So you become a royal priest, a mediator between God and other people. All right. You're a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of what? Out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You see that. And then, so you, you, you know, and I, you know, the study has right on here. And if you're, if you're actually doing the study handwriting it, I really do like, like for you to write down this little, this little piece, of this little graph right here. Because what it does is it, it just makes it clear. There's a light and there's a darkness. And then from the scripture, you can, you can divide up the two concepts, right? It says, you know, once you were not a people, darkness. Now you are the people of God, right? Once you had no mercy, there was no forgiveness. The grace of God had not yet been applied to you. You were not right with God. You could put on there, you could put not a Christian. Uh, you had done the discipleship study. So you can say you're not a disciple, right? Not right with God. You're in the, the dark. You're in, under the power of Satan. And the other side is you're in the light. You are a people of God. You're a disciple. You're saved, right? Then here's what you got to do. You, then you got to ask the question, where do you think you're at? Where do you think that, any of you guys remember when you guys did this Bible study? Yeah. Okay, so give me, give me a little background. When you first did it and they asked you, what, you know, where are you at? What did you say and why? 
Elise, what did you say? Uh, well, by the time we got to the light and dark, I just said I wasn't. Okay, by then you, you said you were or were not? I was not. Was not. By then you were starting to get it. Okay, did anyone ever read this and think that, oh, I'm in the light right now when you first started learning about sin? You thought that, Gracie? I thought it was good. <laughs> well, because you're in a Bible study, you've been coming to church, it's like, I must be good, I'm learning the Bible. That's a little how I felt. I was, uh, I was reading the Bible, and I, had been, I was so immoral and ungodly and worldly and terrible, but I had been coming to church reading the Bible, learning these Bibles, so I thought, I surely must be in the light, I've been learning. And then I thought, oh, man, oh, my life is still messed up. So I thought, well, I see the light. Where are you? Well, well I'm, I think I see the light. I see the light. That was my idea. So I say like, that's probably, and they said, Steve, that's good. But where do you think you're at? In the, uh, are, you, are you now right with God or not? Are you in the light completely right with God or not? Have you crossed over? And I said, well, I, I think I'm not sure. And he says, well, have, have you, is your sin still really prevalent in your life? I was like, yeah. He <laughs> says, so are you a disciple now? Like, I know you want to be, but have you made the commitment? I said, okay, no. He's like, so where are you? I was like, all right, I'm in the dark. That really helped me. The reason I think a lot of people, whether they're from a religious background, I wasn't very religious, but most people, nobody wants to walk around thinking they're in the dark, right? Because it just, it doesn't feel good. But that's the point is to kind of, to, to be clear, where are you? And if they think they're in the light at this point in the study, don't get in an argument about it. Just kind of lead them along. See, be humble if they're like, oh, I'm in the right, I'm good. Oh, okay, no problem. Let's keep learning. I mean, we, they, again, have to come to their own conviction. You can't bash them with it. But you can lead them along. By now, hopefully, the trust level's there, and they'll listen. And, and that's how they did it with me. They were like, okay. And I realized, yeah, okay, I'm not in the light, but I kind of see the light, but I'm still in the dark. And, and they drew the line. I thought, okay, wow, that means I still am in my sin. And, and as that began to sort of sit into my heart and I comprehended that, uh, it helped me to go, okay, I want to learn. Well, how do I get out of it? And the next verse kind of lays out a little bit more the consequences of sin. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 59, verse, verse 1 and 2. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. All right. And the idea here is if we are, if we are in the dark, how did we get in the dark? Why, why is that the case? And Isaiah 59 answers that for us in a great way. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. Can I have another reader? And, of course, when you're doing the Bible study, take turns. Let everybody have a chance of reading. It makes everybody feel included. So, who would like to read? All right? Okay, Zahid, go ahead and read. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to say, nor is here, nor is here too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not do Okay. So, what does this verse say separates us from God? Our iniquities, another, which is a word a lot of us don't use that often, iniquities, but, but it's our sins. And you can look at it in different versions, but it's, it's sin. Okay, so then here's the question. Why? What do you guys think? Why does that separate us from God? Why do sins separate us from God? Okay. God is holy. And holiness can have no connection and unity with unholiness, all right? They're different, right? What is holy uh, cannot be defiled. God's nature is, is, uh, is perfection, all right? And that's true. That's right on target. Um, why, why else? There's, let's talk about this. Why else does sin separate us from God? In what, in what way does it separate us? 
think about it. Um, well, the scripture kind of talks about it. I think not really. It just makes the point it separates us from God. And I think this is more of a kind of a common sense kind of person thing. Uh, and then I'll show you a story that I always share with people, but I'm just trying to get you guys engaged. Ophi. Ophi. Ophi, sorry. Um, who is it? He put cold clothes on our heart and spoken of just as clothes. It's the same way that it was the name. Um, Eve, in the second, he did the fruit. Okay. Okay. So there's a, the, the heart thing, which, which now relates to our humanity and our relationships. Here's the key. It's relational, right? Remember I said... We are primarily relational. We are made in the image of God. God is, is, is relational based, right? And so sin, here's what sin does. It's, it divides relationships, just like it does in your life. All right, and then I always come up with a little analogy sitting at the table. All right, I'd be like, okay, let's take, um, let's take Daniel and Mofe. And let's say these guys are buddies. And But one time, let's assume that Mofe, just, you know, he... He's having a hard day and he just is, he, he just not thinking right. And he decides he's going to grab Daniel's phone when Daniel gets up and, you know, goes to the bathroom. So he grabs his phone, puts it in his back pocket. But, but, the, but Daniel kind of saw him out of the corner of his eye. And, and so when he came back from the bathroom, he's like, hey, Mofa gave me my phone. He said, like, I don't got it. And, and Mofa just leaves right, right then. I don't got it. He said, no, I saw it. What? What? And it say it's a brand new iPhone 10 or something. Cost him a thousand bucks. He's like, dude, give me my phone back. And let's so Mofa's like, no, no, I, I never, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. And then let's assume that Mofe, you know, takes that phone and he sells it on eBay, gets 500 bucks for it or whatever, pockets it, spends it. And you, you know, he did it, but he denies it. Will they be will they feel unified? There's a separation there, isn't there? There's a separation now because Mofe stole the phone and, and he's like, what, what are you doing? It's like you feel hurt. This something's happened relationally. You've damaged the relationship by trust. Sin has occurred between the two people. You guys with me? So now, how could they repair the relationship? What would have to happen? Okay, so let's talk about this. Let's assume Mofe, just, you know, he's like, no, I am not giving this phone. I never took it. He denies that he ever took it. But he knows he took it. He saw him. So what happens if Daniel goes, I, I got so many phones. I don't need it. Even the, it's not that much money to me. You know what? I, I forgive you, Mofe. You don't even have to give it back. I'm good. We're buddies. We're friends. I, I'm so good. Like, that's the heart of God, right? He's going to forgive us. But what if Mofe keeps denying it? Yeah, will they, will they be unified? No. So, so Mofe does have to take responsibility. He has to finally say, I did, I'm sorry. Or else he, there'll be a wall. Maybe the wall's not on Daniel's side. He's like, maybe he's unconditionally forgiving. So there's no wall there. That's how it is with God. Ultimately, there's no wall. God's, because of Jesus, that wall is going to be taken down. But, he still has to take ownership of what he's done. What happens if Mofe, you know, the next, like, a couple hours later, he, he said, I'm so sorry, I can't believe I did it, returns the phone, and, and, and even, even says, and I'm going to make it up to him, I'm taking you to dinner, please forgive me, I'm so sorry. Would that help the relationship? Yeah. But what happens if Daniel now has lost trust in Mofe? I don't trust you now, man. No way. I, I, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. That happens a lot, doesn't it? So, so then there would still be a divide, wouldn't there? Yeah. So Daniel has to be willing to forgive, complete forgiveness. And Mofa has to have willingness to have total uh, repentance and ownership of what he's done. And if both sides won't do that, there's still a wall between them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Between humans and God, that's what happens. 
God's willing to forgive now because of Jesus. But what Jesus has done has to be applied to our life. And we're going to read that a little bit further too. It has to be applied to our life. For that wall to come down, and, and I like the little drawing here again. The wall, like you can see the little wall, is sin, right? Just, and it's a relational wall. Does that make sense? It's relationship-based. And that has to come down. It comes down by forgiveness and through ownership, which applies directly to our relationship with God. And you can see the implication if you don't um, take ownership, the wall really doesn't come down. All right? Any questions? It's good, huh? Helps you understand how we can... And think about humans. All humans have sinned. So we, we have this wall between us and God. And that's the next verse. Let's go to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All right, Romans 3, verse 23. Let's read that one. Who wants to read that one? Romans 3, verse 23 through 26. All right, Art. Romans 3, verse 23 through 20. Uh, loud and clear. Okay, awesome. So this gives us a, uh, a picture of who, who, who has a wall between themselves and God. Everyone. All people have sinned, right? All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And, and, and God doesn't make a, he doesn't sort of grade you on how much you've sinned. Now, I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine this idea that I don't have my magic marker, but I, I kind of give you an image of it. Imagine this, or I'm going to give you a little visual. Imagine these two chairs right here, okay? Imagine this is, this is heaven and this is hell, and the, the gap between them is a million miles. And to get from heaven, I mean from earth rather, this is, I'm sorry, let's change that. This is, this is earth on this side, this is heaven, and down here in the, in the gap, that's the burning fires of hell down there, all right? So this is earth right here. This is where we all live. This over here on this side, this is heaven. This is where we want to get a million miles away. And then down, down here, this is hell, the darkness. And the only way to get from, from earth to heaven is to have no sin because you, you have to be able to be, you have to float all the way over. All right, That's, this is just a concept, right? It's, not, it's a metaphor. Okay? It's not really how it works, right? So if you have even one sin, you're going to fall into the depth. So let's assume we got Mia and she only has a couple sins. So the backpack of sin on her back is not that bad. She jumps and she kind of gets all the way over to here, but she still falls. All right. Then you got Zahid. He has a little bit more sin. So he, 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 he jumps and he only gets to like right here and he falls down. Then I get out. I have the most. So I just, I land like right here. I mean, I just, okay. So which one of us is better off? We're all in the same place. didn't matter how few or much, right? Yeah. Because you have to have no sin. All have sinned. And the only way to bridge the gap is through Jesus, right? He provides the forgiveness. The, the, you know, he gets you across the whole way. Jesus is the key. And it's free, right? He provides an opportunity for us to be with God for free. So, um, God's part is grace. 
Our part is taking ownership of our sin and having faith in the blood of Jesus. And it says in that verse that it's the blood of Jesus that pays the price. And I often bring up this idea of what sin, how sin is. Imagine, um, how many of us here have a car? How many of us have a car? All right, most of us have a car. Not all of us have it. But you ever have a dent put in your car? Doesn't it stink when that happens? And does it get fixed just sitting in the garage? No. What has to happen to get the car fixed? We pay money and time and have to get another car. And somebody has to then yank the dent out, put Bondo on it. Sacrifice of time, energy, and skill to, to pull the dent out of the car and make it look perfect again. Does that make sense? In the same way, our, we put a dent into the holiness of God, right? We damage the relationship with God. We damage all of creation through our sin. All of sin. And so something's got to be done to fix it. And we can't fix it, right? We can't even remember some of the sins we've committed. So that's where the blood of Jesus is this ultimate repair. It's this ultimate fixing, right? God then, blanket wants to clean up the sin. He allows the one person who never sinned, he dies and gets blamed for our sin. He provides this opportunity for there to be forgiveness. Our role, though, is, is like we talked about, is we've got to learn what sin is and take responsibility. Even though he's provided this opportunity it won't work if we don't see what sins are. If we keep adding more bricks to the wall overtly, then it doesn't work. So we need to understand what sin is. And so at this point in time, I will typically um, have a prayer. I can say, well, at this time, I want you guys to understand we're going to talk something about really personal. And what I'll tell the people is, like, hey, what we're going to share here, and it's, say it's me and one of the other disciples and the guy we're studying with, I'll say, this doesn't leave this table. What we're going to share here is private doesn't leave this table because you want to produce trust. Yes, with me, you want them to, to trust you. Again, that's a little bit why I even tell them before you do this study, tell them a week earlier, several, get them prepped. Say, hey, we're going to study what sins are. I'm going to open up with you. Get them thinking. You know, this is going to be a vulnerable time. A lot of people have never shared what's gone on in their life. So sharing your sin ha- is, is tough for many, many people. And I'll have a prayer. God, help us to be open. Uh, help us to trust that we need to see our sin so we can deal with it. And then we want to define what sin is. The, in a, we see on the notes here, it says that the sin is the Greek word uh, hamartia, which means to miss the mark or target. We're off target, right? Sin, the word sin, that's an archery term too, means off target, right? Yeah, we're not perfect. We're not right with God. And so then we want to look at what the sin lists are. One of the most popular is Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. And that's the verse that I typically begin the study to help introduce sin. So let's open up uh, to Galatians chapter 5, verse um, 19. And uh, if we have any children's ministry workers in here, I, I believe that you guys are doing communion. Any of you guys in the children's ministry workers? No? Yes? No? Okay. So I want to make sure I don't get you guys off... Um, of your plans. All right, so let's go to Galatians 5, verse 19. This is one of the many lists in the sin study. Or there's many lists, but this one uh, is pretty comprehensive. All right, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. Who would like to read this one? Okay, go ahead, Afi. Drunkenness, orgies, and their life, 
I warn you as I did before, that those who like who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. The acts of the of the flesh uh, in the old NIV it said the acts of the sinful nature, right? It says they're obvious. So do we know what they are? We kind of know, right? It's not it's not really that surprising to us what a sin is. It's kind of built into our DNA to know what it is. And then right in the beginning it, it starts listing them, and the very first one is what? Okay. Why do you guys think it's that's the that's the, the first one? Why is that at the top of the list? It's relational. Yeah. Okay. Why else? It's dealing with the flesh. It's very flesh oriented. Yeah. Andrew? Okay. Yes. What are you going to say, Mia? Because you're sinning against the Holy Spirit. Do you have the Holy Spirit, though, when you're in sin? Well, I don't think, you know, this is not necessarily saying you have it or don't. But this is written to the church. And they, they actually did have the Holy Spirit. All right. And yet still that you have to, the Spirit doesn't like when we do that. When we're doing this study, I usually don't get off on that discussion yet about the Holy Spirit. I usually want them to understand, okay, why is sexual immorality at the top of the list? Well, what do you think the biggest sin on the human, on planet Earth is? Sexual sin, right? I mean, it's right there at the top because it's so damaging to the human race. And it's so prevalent. It's so common. We have all been, it's one of the strongest physical drives, if not the strongest, that God is a gift from God. Sexuality is a gift from God, a beautiful gift from God, but we pollute it and damage it as a human race. And he puts it right at the top of the list, right? And if you notice in the NIV, it says sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. And then in the NIV, there's a semicolon. You see that? It's like grouped. You see that? It's like grouped. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. They're kind of together. It's not, it's not just... And then you have to define it for them. If you want to pull out a dictionary, you can. But sexual immorality is the word, the Greek word, pornia. And it, it means any sexual interaction outside of the marriage bond. Any sexual interaction outside of the marriage bond is sexual immorality. In particular, it does relate... To, it primarily focuses on what's known as as uh, intercourse, a fornication, or um, uh, it could be adultery. The word adultery is not in there, but that would be included in it. All right, uh, homosexuality is not included in it, but it would be. Uh, it's not. It's not written there, but it would be included in any illicit sexual act that's outside of the marriage bond is sexual immorality. Now, I usually try to define that even a little more clearly for them, and here's why that's important. Because people like to go, well, that's sex and that's not. And so I say, okay, did you ever take high school health? And most people have, right? And what did you learn about the human body? You learned that, that actual, uh, the lips, the neck, different parts of the body have sexual uh, uh, nerve centers in there and that, you know, they can be stimulated. Uh, that, that French kissing is absolutely, it's different than just pecking because there's, uh, there's nerve endings in our body and in our, inside our mouth. So French kissing is clearly a sexual act. Most people think, oh, no, don't think it is, but it is. It's without question it is. And you learn that in high school health class, all right? That anything you, that is a sexual act outside of the marriage bond is immoral in God's eyes, all right? So this is very important to make super clear uh, because our culture is so inundated with sexuality. And then what I'll do right at this point is I'll break into a discussion of this area with the, with the guys I'm studying with. Um, now... I had a very promiscuous background, 
And I gauge, when you're doing the study with people, you have to gauge who you're with. If it's another person like me that was a paternity guy, a worldly, ungodly, grew up in a household without a lot of God, then, I'll, then I'm going to be much more detailed and graphic and, 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 and I'm just not going to, I'm going to share a lot there to put them at ease and to kind of connect. If I know they grew up in a much more religious home, they're going to still have immorality issues, I, I, I'm going to be a little bit more careful. I don't, I don't want to freak them out. I don't want to scare them with my background, okay? Um, but I am going to be very vulnerable, okay? Question, Sarah? Yeah, that's great. That's a much more complex uh, issue now in our day. Um, there are ver- there's other lists though that discuss <coughs> homosexual interaction is also uh, against the, the you know the morality, the biblical ethic of God, um, and and of course biblical meth- says, the Bible says uh, marriage is a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife. So it's marriage biblically is between one man and one biblically. It is between that. So we would base ourselves on the biblical ethics. So, you know, in the Bible, that, that wouldn't be an approved marriage. I would be careful of getting into that right there. I mean, that's a whole other topic. There needs to be some advanced Bible studies that we have on how to really minister to people from same-sex attraction and who are in those kind of, and we have those, and, and that is something we need to really be patient with. But, but you can tell them that. Biblically, it's between a man and a woman, and there's a verse that says that, a couple of verses that say that. And so that it still would be outside the, the, the bounds of God's approval. Okay? We're more likely today to maybe encounter Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe we might want to have those Yeah. Okay, well, sure. I agree. Earlier and earlier. Yes. And, and what I would do, I mean, you can find the verse that says one, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife in, gen, in the early part of Genesis. You also find it in Ephesians 5, right? Uh, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife. And, and so the idea being that the marriage is defined as uh, a, a one man and one woman. Okay, Ephesians 5 has that. Um, so, again, that's a whole Bible study. This is a whole Bible study to deal with same-sex attraction issues and how to address and help minister somebody. So I don't want to get sidetracked and our time is very short today, okay? Uh, but you are right. It is, it is, you, we're going to face it. We're going to face it, okay? Sex is the biggest issue. What I'll usually do then is open up about my own life. And in my own life, I mean, I start off and when I was a kid, um, I had sexual interaction with uh, a family member. Uh, my brother, who had been, he had been molested when he was six years old, and that then brought sexuality into our life, and he was my older brother, and we, an experiment, we began to experiment, and, and that kind of made me think some weird things. I, I never told anybody this, but, you know, I, I share this in the study, because this is my earliest sexual experience, and I'll let them know, and I, I felt guilty about it, but I hid it, and we, we experimented. It was, you know, homosexual interaction, same-sex stuff. Uh, experimenting as a kid, but we did it for quite a few years. When we ended up in our teen years, you know, we wouldn't tell anybody we had done that because it was embarrassing and we didn't, we didn't believe it was right, but we, 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 we got corrupted by it. And 
he had been abused, and so he kind of brought that into our family, so I had experienced that. So I had sexual abuse as a kid uh, with my brother, or, and he was just a couple years older than me. So legally, it's sexual abuse if they're four years older than you, but it was, um, I had that as well because we had a friend that we had experimented with, and he was older. Uh, and then I'll go through and share that, and then I'll share about how um, I, I denied, I wouldn't tell anybody that was happening. I never told anybody, actually, until I did this very Bible study, other than my brother knew. And then um, I go into sexuality, and I'll just cough up most of, most of the, the worst sins I've ever done. And I talk about how old I was when I first tried intercourse, and, and then I talk about masturbation, that that's super common, because the impurity part fits into that concept of, of, of sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. And I'll just share that I've looked at pornography, and I, I, I share for a good 10 minutes about some of the worst things I don't... I mean, I had so many bad things I don't share every one... But I share some of the worst, um, that I've done some really shameful things. I've uh, been with a number of girls. Um, and, and I go through, you know, what I, I hadn't ever slept with a married woman, but I, I bring that up in case people have. And people feel guilty about little things. You want to help them get it out of their system. And, and I'll share my, some of my thoughts. I, I used to, as a, a college student, I would just be consumed with sexuality constantly. I mean, every person I looked at, it was terrible. Uh, I, I mean, I would cheat on my girlfriends. I, I was just, I was just a worldly, ungodly guy, and I share it in in, 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 in that kind of way, in a sobering way. If you've been in that heavy a lifestyle, you you share it in a humble and a sobering way. Um, and, you know, so I, I had experienced various levels of sexuality with different women, with a, you know this interaction with my family member, and it, and it, it hurt my heart. Uh, I was hard-hearted when I even began to read these scriptures. I didn't even see that, that sexual sin was wrong. I didn't recognize it as wrong because I was so hardened by it. But by getting it all out and sharing it, it really helps. And then I'll usually in the study have the person sitting next to me. A lot of times I'm the one that's done the most, like a lot of bad stuff. And I'll, the person next to me maybe grew up in a religious background. They're, for a lot of religious people, their sexual sin tends to be pornography uh, or it's more in the heart and the mind and maybe a lot of times haven't acted out as much. So, and maybe the person studying with you hasn't acted out as much as some, some of us have. It's nice to have another person that can say, it's still just as bad, but it's more in the heart. I haven't slept with 25 people, and, um, which is, you know, many, many people have done that. And it's, or I had a college friend who slept with 100 people, and was pr- sad thing is he was proud of it. And that's one of the issues, too, is you have to help them realize, this, isn't, this is not a time amongst the men. You don't brag. This is brokenness. This is sobering. This is disgusting. It's important to present it. This is wrong. This is terrible what we've done. I'm so sorry. I'm so grateful to be different now. But, but we get vulnerable and real, and we share that we've done these things. Okay? And then I'll have the other person share a little bit about what they've done. And then I'll ask them. And I'll say, hey, you, you want to open up? When was your first sexual experience that you feel guilty about? And, and, and you, you don't take the whole study to get it all out right there. Typically, unless they really want to, some people really want to just cough it up. They had been looking to cough up all this junk. And then just help them say, well, this is confidential, share whatever, I've been there too. And you just draw them out. And you bond with them and you build the friendship where you're compassionate and you help them to see the damage it caused. And you have to draw people out. You don't have to do it all in this first study. Some people are too afraid on this first study. They don't yet feel totally safe. They, they, they bring a little bit of it out. What you'll do is after we go through the sins, you'll ask them to go ahead and... Um, make a follow-up sin list, a letter. You'll see that in the homework. And then when you get back with them, you can draw them out further. You do want 
to help people get totally gut level vulnerable about the darkest things they've ever done. Maybe the thing you ask is, what's the thing of all things you've ever done you feel the most guilty about? And, you know, you, you share it. And I, I have things like that, and I'll tell them. I'll tell them the worst stuff, you know, the obvious stuff as a kid that I've done. Uh, I've had, you know, many homosexual thoughts as growing up, and I'll, I'll share that. And I've, if you ever had same-sex issues, you've got to share that, because like we said, it's so prevalent that when you're in a study with people, they need to, a lot of men, they're just, they've had those, but they're afraid to get real about them. And you, it's, it's nice to say that even if you had the thought, it opens them up to be willing to confess. And this is the time you're really helping. It's a cathartic time for them. All right? it's a, this is one of the most powerful times ever to help them trust you and open up about their life so they can feel safe and know that, yeah, this is what separates us from God, but God has a plan to heal us. Then after I do the sex thing, because that is such a big one, I'll go through the other list, all right? I'll, I'll, I'll define some more. And what you want to look for is you want to kind of help them figure out what is the, some of their issues, all right? And I, I certainly define impurity as, as, as uh, pornography, and we talk a fair amount about pornography, how prevalent. And a lot of people are addicted to pornography today. I'd say 50% of people or more are addicted to pornography. You have to discuss that. And, and what I'll usually do is, so, so did you look at anything like last night? Like, assume they looked last night, this morning. You know, I mean, it helps them go, oh, no, it wasn't yet. last night. It was the night before. Like, they feel like oh, somehow, wow, they're good. They, it's been a whole day they haven't looked, right? And, and you're helping them get real about, because people, that's where they're at. They're, they're just immersed in it. So you want to help them feel safe and say, okay. And pornography is major. You've got to take note of that. We're gonna, you're going to need to help them significantly with pornography. You're going to have to, they're going to, might need a, de- a group, lots of discussion. They're going to start read books on how to over, it's like a drug addiction. It is an addiction. Of course, let me just say this. If they are an addict, uh, we, you will, we will need to get them in a chemical recovery. If they're an alcohol or drug addict, and then if they're a pornography addict, you're going to need some, uh, you're going to need more than just this study to help them gain full repentance. They're going to need more support groups to help them stay strong, okay? Or it'll really discourage their faith. Um, I go through the rest of the list. If you look at the list, verse 20 says, um, idolatry, that's putting anything ahead of God. And in America, that tends to be, what do people put ahead of God in America mostly? Money, Money career, right? And that's a huge one. And, and I'll share a little bit about my life and, and how that was a career-minded thing. Witchcraft it, the Bible doesn't say anything about drugs, but in the Greek it says sorcery. You can relate witchcraft or, or drugs uh, or, or sorcery to the concept of uh, taking drugs that's mind-altering. And then I'll share you know, about my drug use. And I, just so you guys know, I've used a lot of drugs when I was uh, in college. Marijuana, uh, cocaine, uh, ecstasy. Um, you know, uh, I even tried shrooms. I one time almost did ecstasy, uh, almost did LSD, but I didn't because I was so uh, inebriated and drunk that I like it fell on the ground. Thank the Lord, it it fell and I didn't. But I, I I've done those things. I, and, I, and I'll share. And I feel terrible. I mean, I just I was looking for happiness and fulfillment. I would try all this stuff, um, and so you got to find out where they've been with that kind of thing, too. And a lot of people feel extremely guilty about that because everybody kind of knows that's damaging and polluting your body. And get them to open up about it. Um, hatred. Uh, I ask them, is there anyone you're really mad at you hate? Most people, if they hate somebody, sometimes they don't even realize it. I did a Bible study with one guy, and he hadn't talked to his physical sister in 10 years. He was 26, and his sister was like 27. You're older than him. 
I said, yeah, I haven't talked to her in 10 years. Why not? He said, well, she used to make fun of me when I was, when I was in high school. And my dad said, just ignore her. So I did. I ignored her for 10 years. I said, you haven't talked to your sister in 10 years? When you see her at family events, I ignore her. I don't say anything to her. And he was not the kind of guy you'd think he was an angry, angry guy. And he, and he started weeping right there. He started crying right there. He called her. You know what? He became a disciple, and she eventually did too. They repaired it. But they had hatred in his heart. From, a lot of times it's family. It's a father. You need to find out about the father and mother. Uh, or you need to see if they've been really hurt. Are they holding on to bitterness? And get that. a lot of times that can be a major hang-up is anger to a lot of men towards their fathers. And they've got to get it out and forgive. Or women, if they've been abused, uh, you want to help them feel safe to forgive in their hearts and not hate and try to get that out. Um, discord. And I try to define discord. Uh, Patricia, Yes. We're going to get to that. Yes, it is. This hatred and discord is racism. I usually bring it up at factions because factions is sort of racism, is, group, is small groups, and you kind of stereotype people and factions as you break it. So I, I bring racism up usually at that point. <clears throat> discord is definitely fits into racism and, and hatred, and it, you're right. It can definitely fit into it there in a big way as well. Um, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, Fits of rage, people have a lot of those, right? That's kind of selfish ambition is you're, you're all about you. That was a huge one for me. Uh, dissensions, meaning you're just always argumentative and breaking off or divisive or you're creating divisions around people. Factions is for sure, again, divisions, and I use that as racism, but you are right, Patricia, fits well into the hatred and discord. And that's a major issue to ask about that. Uh, how are you doing? How do you feel about different races? Where are you at with that? Have you been, and honestly, a lot of uh, people that, you know, African-American, they absolutely get, get mistreated um, in our culture in America. They've been pulled over for no reason, just because of the color of your skin. And it's important to bring that out and talk about that and ask them how they, are they, are they feel hatred about that and discuss that. It's very important. Obviously, you've got to minister to people from your own experience. Uh, and then if you're a white guy like me, you have to say, you know, I haven't had that same experience, and, but I understand it. It's, it's, feel, it's being a be betrayed and mistreated and unjustly accused is a terrible part of society. And as Christians, God doesn't want us to do that to each other, but we have to forgive because of what Jesus has done. All right. And it's, it's a lot of people, it's a major issue to work through. Okay. Uh, you're not going to be able to work through it all right there, but you want to, you want to dig into it a little bit. And I want to close out. I need to close out, Patricia, so we can talk more privately afterwards if you want to. Um, what I usually do then is I'll go through this. It takes longer than an hour, okay? It's going to take you two hours. To, this is a study that usually takes at least two hours because there's so much discussion, all right? Um, I also want us to turn to, to James chapter 4, verse 17, all right? James 4, verse 17. All these sins in the, that we just read in Galatians 5 are sins you commit, you have to go through them, share the biggest ones for your own life. And what you're going to do is you're going to follow up because you're going to try to dig deeper. It takes more than one study to get to the bottom of all this stuff. So in James chapter 4, verse 17, there's another kind of sin. This is the sin that you, you do because you don't do what you're supposed to do. It's called the sins of omission. So who wants to read this verse? Okay, Lori, go ahead. So when you know what you ought to do and you don't do it, you sin. So if you grew up a Christian but you haven't been making disciples 
or you think you were a Christian your whole life, but you haven't been making disciples, well, then, yeah, that's a sin. You've, you, you've known what's better. Um, and this can happen in so... We all have this sin. Even if we didn't do the big stuff, a lot of us have never done the big stuff. The big sexual sins and drug sins. A lot of people don't do that stuff. They, they're smart enough to stay away from that. But, man, all of us can say, I've known better and I haven't done it. I haven't followed through. Becoming a Christian is not just stopping the bad. It's starting the good. True Christianity is committing to the good. And so you can share that with them a little bit, how they, they feel that applies. And if the person's extremely uh, religiously oriented background, you want to dig in here a little bit more in depth. Number two, the other verse, 2 Timothy chapter 3, I didn't read this one. You'll want to go back over that verse uh, with them at another time. Sometimes if the person, if I know that they grew up in a Christian house, so let's say a kingdom kid, I'll I'll for sure, if it's a kingdom kid, if I'm studying with one of the teens who's grown up in our church, I will for sure do 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 to 5, because that's a lot of the sins of the heart. That's the sins of like hating your parents and stuff that you're sinning, but you look good on the outside, right? You look good on the outside. There's no big sins like sexual, you know, immorality and drug use, but there's all this stuff inside your heart, pride and, and, and insolence and stuff inside your heart. So you want to, you'll have to go through that one as well with somebody with that kind of background. Um, then what we'll do, and, and I'll close the whole study out with Romans chapter 6, verse 23. All right? Romans 6, verse 23. Somebody read that one because I do want to close out for our lesson for today and then show, tell you what the homework is. Romans 6, verse 23. Okay, Mia. All right, the wages. A wage is what? It's what you earn. If you work at Starbucks, they're a big company. Minimum wage is thirteen fifty, thirteen twenty, thirteen thirty. All right, that's a new California law for a company over fifty people. I think something like that. Right, under fifty people, the minimum wage is twelve. But imagine if you work ten hours for them, and, and at the end of the day, they said you're not. No, you're not getting paid. You'd be like, I deserve that. That's my. Wa- I, what do you say? What do you mean you're not paying me? I deserve it. What do we deserve for our sin? Death. That's what we've earned. But the gift, there's this gift, and it's, it's the hope of forgiveness and eternal life. And I leave them, I say, listen, we're going to teach you all about how the gift is given to you. What, how the gift is available to everyone, and how that's provided. But we need to deal with the sin. So I, I, you give them homework. And the homework is we want to ask them to write a letter to God addressing your own specific personal sins. And having them and say, here's what I want you to write in a journal. Make sure I have a journal. And say, I want you to go through with Galatians 5.19 or, or, or 2 Timothy 3. I want you to have that out in front of you. And I want you to journal. I want you to write an apology letter to God. Dear Lord, I'm so sorry when I was seven years old that I... And start writing. I remember God when I turned 15. I, I, this is what happened. And you tell them, this is just between you and God. I, and, and, and in time, I would like for you to share it so that we can help you to, to get in touch with your sin. All right? We want you to be in touch with your sin so you can understand the gravity of it. Now, I'm going to give you a bonus scripture. Write this down on your notes. Psalm 36, verse 1 and 2. Psalm 36 says that if we, if we tell ourselves too many good things, we won't detect our own sin. The point of looking at our sin is so we can detect it and hate it. And that's what Psalm 36, verse 1 and 2 says. That's why we're doing this. This is designed to get you in touch with your sin so you can own it and stop it. All right? So you ask them to write this letter. 
And then the next time you get with them, you're going to go through that. And of course, I would say this is the study takes sometimes two or three appointments with them to complete a thorough discussion of sin, how it affects them. If they have same sex, like Patricia brought up, same sex attraction issues, which is common, you might spend several weeks, a month, going through a whole studies on this topic, which for the sake of this particular class, we don't have time to go through all that. But I do want to make that kind of resource available to our church because this is a real issue that we want to help people. But keep in mind, you're, you're training their heart, you're bonding with them, you're helping them to own their sin so they can receive the grace of God. Amen? And then you want to close out with a prayer. Let's close out with a prayer together. Uh, who wants to lead us in a prayer? Zahid, close us out in a prayer. Okay, hold on. I got a memory scripture for you. James 4.17. James 4.17. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Alright? James 4.17 is your memory scripture. That's the sin of omission. We want to know that one. Thank you, guys. Uh, Next week, Father's Day, we will have a class again. And it will be on the salvation topic. Alright? Next week, we will have a lesson. You are... You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.